This is the Life Truth Network. Welcome to Life Truth Presents, a clean fiction podcast. Today, we'll get a feel for the show and introduce you to an audiobook that's perfect for kids and adults. If it's clean fiction, it's fair game. My goal is to come alongside Clean Fiction Magazine over at cleanfictionmagazine.com. They sell their quarterly publications on Amazon. If it's not the type of thing covered in CFM, I want it to be here. That gives you, the listener, access to even more clean fiction. You could hear interviews, game reviews, featured audio drama reviews, and some of the dramas themselves. I want this to be big. Speaking of Clean Fiction Magazine, don't forget to get the Winter 2022 edition on sale now at Amazon. You won't want to miss out on the next installment of Her Father's Mantle, an interview with Noble Words Press, and five, that's right, five Windows into the Multiverse micro-stories. Coming this spring, The Start of Stronghold, a new superhero serial. Also coming this spring, a brand new section for audio reviews has been added to Clean Fiction Magazine. This section will include both audio dramas and audio books. Feel free to submit your favorite audiobook or audio drama at cleanfictionmagazine.com under submissions. I'm looking forward to being the audio drama reviewer over at cleanfictionmagazine.com. I want these things to be big. Now, to me, uh, Clean Fiction Magazine is pretty big already. What would you do if you suddenly found you had superpowers? Well, a character in James Kennison's book, Sorta Kinda Superpowered, is having to figure out exactly that. We will hear from James Kennison shortly, but for now, I'd like to present as this episode's featured clean fiction, the first chapter of his free audiobook. Sorta Kinda Superpowered by James Kennison, Chapter 1. Joseph loved any kind of field trip, but today's was extra awesome because his class was visiting the Enhanced Heroes Memorial Museum, and he had never been before. It was an entire building dedicated to a mysterious set of heroes known as the Enhanced, who had been serving and saving people for well over 100 years. Joseph was a huge fan of the Enhanced, the ones he knew of anyway, and couldn't wait for the bus ride to end and the tour to begin. Joseph was 12 years old, had short brown hair, a pale complexion, and deep brown eyes. He'd had a few girls refer to him as cute, but that was likely due to the fact that he was the second shortest kid in his school. The only kid shorter was Clovis Cook. He and Joseph were best friends. Clovis had puffy black hair, light brown skin, and dark brown eyes. They had been talking the whole trip about what they hoped to see when they arrived at the museum. Clovis had been before. Mom got me a pass that lets us go back all year, Clovis explained. It was for my birthday. Then you can be my official tour guide. Just don't go spoiling anything for me, Joseph said. 
I only need to know two things right now. One, is it awesome? And two, how much am I going to love it? Well, Clovis's eyes rolled around as he thought, it is very, very super awesome. And you're going to love it more than you love Star Wars. Nothing is better than Star Wars, man, Joseph said. But the museum must be pretty good if you think I'd put it above my favorite movies. Joseph looked out his window and watched the city move by. People of every kind and buildings of every size scrolled past. This wasn't his first time in New Atlanta, but he had never really ever noticed so many people just walking. People only walked for exercise or from their car to the Walmart in his small town of Noonan. He wondered where they were all going and was overwhelmed by the idea that each of them had a different place to go. Though he found the city exciting and remarkable, he was quite glad he didn't live in it. There were too many places and too many people he didn't know. You can't trust people you don't know. Finally, they pulled in behind a line of buses filled with more sixth grade classes. A woman with poofy red hair climbed the front steps and barked some distorted instructions through a microphone. Joseph didn't understand anything except off the bus and await further instructions. Everyone filed out of the bus and waited in a line against a building while the teachers and aides counted everyone. Joseph's heart was thumping in his chest. The museum was just around the corner. He very much wanted to step forward out of line to catch a glimpse of the building, but he stayed where he was. Joseph always obeyed the rules, mostly because he was well-behaved, but also because whenever he did slip up, he always got caught. I hate this part, Joseph said. We get here and we're still not here. He leaned his forehead against the wall, looking down at the tiny bits of trash smashed into the crevice between the wall and the sidewalk. If everybody would just hold still, it wouldn't take forever to count us all, Clovis observed. Just make sure you're standing up straight. They always miscount when I'm in a group because they pass right over my short self. Joseph turned and stepped up to see who was counting his class. The poofy-haired woman with the microphone was counting his group and marking things on a clipboard. Joseph looked up and down the line, absent-mindedly counting heads himself. He counted again. There were 32 students in his class, but only 31 in line. Someone's missing, he told Clovis. He scanned the line again to figure out who it was. It was Johnny Stein. Joseph had seen him asleep against a window on the way off the bus, but he hadn't thought to wake him up. He wished he had. When Joseph was in third grade, someone had written on his face after he fell asleep on a field trip. And when he woke up, everybody was laughing and no one would tell him why. Joseph left the line and walked up to the woman with the microphone. She didn't look up as he approached. She seemed completely focused on whatever she was writing on her clipboard. Ma'am, he started. She lifted the microphone without looking up. We're almost done here. Please remain in the line against the wall. The volume of her voice knocked Joseph back a step. She lowered the microphone and continued marking on her clipboard. Uh, Ma'am, there's a kid. Johnny Stein. I think he's asleep on the bus, Joseph said quietly. She looked up at Joseph, her cheeks turning bright pink. Wait right here, she said. She stepped quickly toward the bus, entered, and searched the seats, looking back and forth down the aisle. She stopped halfway, motioned for Joseph to join her, which he did. There was Johnny, mouth open, curled up on the seat, a bit of drool creeping down his cheek. I'll step off, she whispered. I'll let you wake him up. And she exited the bus. Joseph reached out a hand, gently shaking Johnny's shoulder. Johnny's eyes popped open. He sat up suddenly, dazed at the sight of an empty bus, trying to figure out where he was. We're at the museum, Joseph said. You fell asleep, but there's time to step out without anybody noticing. 
and I won't tell anybody. Um, thanks, Johnny said, wiping drool from his face with his sleeve. He looked embarrassed, but his eyes were grateful. Joseph followed him off the bus, wondering if Johnny remembered marking on his face that day back in third grade. On their way back to the line, the microphone woman grabbed Joseph's arm. Thank you, she said, scanning the list for his name. Joseph? Yes, ma'am. No problem, he said with a slight smile. She leaned in close. They didn't have him on the list, so I'm glad you noticed he wasn't with us, she whispered. Joseph returned to his place next to Clovis. What was that? Clovis asked. Nothing. Somebody was still on the bus, he replied. The microphone lady, apparently satisfied that her clipboard was sufficiently scratched on, lifted her microphone and filled the air with her greatly amplified voice. Students, we are now ready to leave. A loud electric squeal tore through the area, startling everyone. The girls screamed, the boys moaned, and everyone covered their ears. She fiddled with the speaker box slung low on her waist and started again. Okay, students. She was still loud and distorted, but discernible. It is now time to make our way into the building, so please stay together in a single file line. We will be crossing a major street, so please pay attention and stay alert. Once inside, you will need to quietly wait for further instructions. Please follow me. From the first step, the line disintegrated into a jumbled blob of kids walking however they wanted. Single file, people, single file, microphone lady called out, but it was no use. The students were too excited to listen. Okay, okay, at least stay together then. She lowered the microphone and resigned herself to leading the disorganized group as if it was what she had wanted in the first place. At the corner, they waited at the crosswalk for the signal change. Suddenly, sirens pierced through the traffic noise. Two fire trucks and an ambulance, lights blinking and blazing, turned right past them on screeching wheels. Is there a fire? A black-haired boy exclaimed. Of course there's a fire, dummy, a red-haired kid said. Why do you think someone called the fire department? Whenever I've seen where a fire truck stopped, it's always just a car accident, Joseph interjected. Well, maybe it's a car that's on fire, a blonde-haired girl said. Why did kids always want things to be on fire? Once the sirens had stopped and the signal flashed walk, the group continued across the street, up the huge white marble staircase, through the massive oak doors, and into a large waiting area. They waited in front of a long, thin reception desk. Behind it, the space opened into a large circular hall with two archways leading away. A grand staircase started in the center of the space and led up to the second floor with three archways of its own. Each archway was emitting random lights and sounds, promising an exciting multimedia experience. Joseph took it all in. There appeared to be tons of things to see. He was sure this was going to be a fantastic day. High five, Joseph shouted to Clovis. Clovis slapped a little too hard and both the boys winced from the sting. Sorry, Clovis said, rubbing his palms together. I'm too excited. I get a little crazy when I'm overstimulated. The microphone woman was working her way through the group, handing out fluorescent green wristbands. Each class was then grouped and led past the desk into the presence of a very tall man in a sharp purple suit, coat, and cap. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim, he said. I'll be leading your tour today. Some of you may have noticed that I am quite tall. Several kids sniggered in agreement. It's actually very nice to be a tall tour guide because I can see everyone in the tour. He paused for effect and everyone can see my bald head. He lifted his cap, showing his shiny, hairless dome. The group burst into laughter. Jim seemed pleased. See, this way no one gets lost. Please follow me, he said. 
Jim led them up the central staircase. On the way up, Joseph had a great view of the lower rooms. He didn't know all of the enhanced by name like Clovis did, but it was easy enough to read the signs over each entryway. Daring Dan and Sergeant Silent were the heroes listed below them. And at the top of the stairs, Jim had them turn right, and Joseph read three signs on the upper level. Sergeant Sudden, Miss Model Citizen, and over the third room, the one that Jim was leading them to, the sign read, Captain Mighty. It appeared that they were starting their tour in Captain Mighty's room. This made Joseph very happy. He grabbed Clovis by the shoulders and shook him in excitement. Captain Mighty is my second favorite enhanced ever, Joseph said, still shaking Clovis. I assume Dr. Superior is your favorite, Clovis says, his voice shaking along with his shoulders. Of course, but Captain Mighty is amazing, Joseph asserted. He and Clovis had seen the Captain Mighty movie over the summer and instantly added him as a close second behind the current enhanced hero, Dr. Superior. Just before they entered the exhibit, Jim stopped and addressed the group. Welcome to the room that we have reserved for one of the most beloved enhanced of all time, Captain Mighty, he said. Joseph stood on tiptoe trying to see over and into the room. He saw old movie clips from the 80s projected on the walls. Glass top cases full of artifacts were everywhere and Captain Mighty's logo was being drawn with lasers on the far wall. Jim continued. For the last 150 years, we have been a society blessed with a series of heroes known as the Enhanced a title we use to distinguish them from other heroes, such as our military, who serve society but without enhanced abilities. There has never been more than one enhanced hero at a time, and each of them served with their own unique enhanced abilities. Jim produced a thin black device from his jacket. He slid a small latch on one side and a large screen unfolded in his hands. The students gasped in amazement. That's a folding computer. It's not even released yet, Clovis said. They just invented it at Superior Industries. So cool. Jim held up the screen and continued as images faded in and out in sequence with his speech. It started in 1864 when a man in a black uniform with a mask, a black fireman's helmet, and a cape stopped a burning building from crumbling by freezing the outer walls using only his breath, he said. The newspapers dubbed him Daring Dan and raved over his enhanced breath powers. He retired in 1882 and introduced Sergeant Silent as his replacement. Jim reached behind the tablet and unfolded yet another panel, making the screen double-sized. Joseph thought Clovis was going to have a heart attack. A rough-looking man with a large mustache and a fancy blue coat with a golden S on the front appeared on the screen. Joseph thought he looked like an enhanced version of a Civil War soldier. Sergeant Silent, true to his name, never spoke a word. His enhanced abilities allowed him to move objects using only hand gestures. Jim flipped the screen vertically. The side of a building appeared. A cutout image of a baby was dancing on a top floor window. Sergeant Silent's first recorded deed was catching a baby falling from an apartment window with a laundry basket lifted into the air. The animated baby tumbled down into a floating basket of clothes as he spoke. Tour guide Jim rotated the screen horizontally again. A jittery, old-timey movie clip showed another man in an army helmet saluting the camera. Sergeant Sutton came in 1912 and served for 41 years. His uniform and powers were very different from Sergeant Silence. He earned his similar-sounding name by continuing the good work of his predecessor, even taking things to the next level with an uncanny ability to anticipate disasters. 
Sergeant Sutton's crisis anticipation was so impressive that many in his day believed that he had the ability to travel back in time. Jim turned the screen vertically again. This time, a brightly colored video played of a beautiful black-haired woman in a brilliant red leather jacket, blue pants, and golden knee-high boots. She had a shining gold mask over her eyes and forehead. Miss Model Citizen, the first female enhanced, was introduced by Sergeant Sutton in 1953. Most of her work was done overseas, helping people in very poor parts of the world. But Miss Model, as she was called in the 1970s, will always be most remembered for literally picking up the corner of an elementary school in Florida and dragging the entire campus across a city street. Moments later, a massive sinkhole appeared in its place that would have devoured the school and cost hundreds of students their lives. The same woman, this time in a black jacket, skirt, leggings, and boots, looked toward the camera and flew up into the air and out of sight. Jim reached behind the screen, unfolding yet another panel, making the screen even larger and square-shaped. The screen went black. Then, Jim called out with a sudden shout, startling several closer students. Then the enhanced hero of my childhood appeared. The hero generally considered to be the greatest hero of all time. He was passed the torch by Miss Model in 1978 and became known as the amazing Captain Mighty. The screen was ablaze with flashing images of a man with a dark red shirt with a large silver plate marked with an M across his chest. Within three slides, Joseph had seen Captain Mighty's large brown boots, black gloves strapped tight at the wrist, gray knee pads, and a brown leather belt covered in pouches and compartments. Captain Mighty served as one of the most beloved and most active heroes to date. He served faithfully for 25 years before his disappearance in 2003. He is known for his kindness and many amazing feats. Feats that you will discover as you tour this, his memorial hall. The students clapped. Jim quickly folded the computer screen, tucked it into his jacket, and bowed with a smile. This is a self-guided tour, he continued. This means you will be allowed to experience the exhibits in the hall in whatever order you wish. Please find a friend or two and stay together. He began leading them toward the entryway. Take your time. Read as much as you can and meet right here in 35 minutes so we can rotate to the next hall. Jim stepped to the side and ushered the students into the room. Finally, the students flooded into the room. Joseph grabbed Clovis by his sleeve, holding him back until all the other students had squeezed through. Then they walked under the archway, taking everything in. Stop, Clovis said. Cover your eyes. What? Joseph replied. What for? Everyone's going to start at the beginning and work their way around. Clovis said, we're going to start at the end and work backwards, and that way we won't have to wait to see anything. I do this every time. Joseph closed his eyes and allowed Clovis to move him through the maze of exhibits, only peeking when he was sure he felt something near his face. They were going past a large window when Joseph stole a look. He saw something dark gray wafting up outside. Wait, Joseph cried out. He stopped short and ran over to the window. There are the fire trucks from before, and look, there's smoke. There was a thick clog of gray smoke lifting from a door on the rooftop of the building below. Look, there's people. Joseph saw two men and a woman emerge from the rooftop door coughing. One man had his jacket over his face. I think they're stuck, Clovis said. Just then, a muscular, blonde-haired man wearing a solid purple uniform, a pair of metallic gold boots, a golden belt, and a matching gold cape trimmed in purple dropped suddenly out of the sky over the street outside. He hovered there for a moment, turning slowly, 
smiling, waving, and pointing at people he apparently saw through the surrounding windows. When he faced the museum window, his eyes widened. He looked impressed with the sight of two sixth graders staring slack-jawed at him. He waved at them with both hands, pointed to Clovis, and gave him a thumbs up. The boys waved back in disbelief. They were waving to the one, the only, Dr. Superior. Clovis looked down. He was wearing a purple Dr. Superior hoodie. He noticed my hoodie, Joseph, Clovis shouted. I'm never washing it again. Joseph kept his eyes trained on the hero hovering just outside the window. He's right there, Joseph said. I can't believe it. He waved at us and everything. Clovis, we were being friends with Dr. Superior. Well, maybe not friends exactly, but you know, he noticed us. Dr. Superior finished his turn, then dove straight down and over the smoking rooftop, sweeping up the three adults. He continued up and back into a huge loop and dropped down into the street, landing somewhere amongst the fire trucks. The boys lost sight of him. I can't wait to tell mom, Joseph said. We basically got to meet Dr. Superior right before he saved those people. Do you think he would remember us if we ever... Clovis attempted to say. Suddenly, every other kid in the room pushed both boys out of their way and off to the side. They all wanted to see what the two of them had been shouting about. Oh, smoke, a black-haired boy shouted. I told you it was a fire, the red-haired boy bragged. Did someone say Dr. Superior was here? The blonde girl asked. Clovis spoke up. We just saw Dr. Superior save three people off the roof that was on fire, he said, acting out the rescue with his arms raised high. They were on the roof with all this smoke, and Superior swooped down and snatched them right off the roof and then took them to the fire trucks, and we saw the whole thing. It was awesome, Clovis shouted, and the best part, he pointed at his chest. He liked my hoodie. His eyes closed, his head tilted back. A huge grin spread over his face. The crowd, realizing they had missed something great, but not wanting to be outdone by the short kids, returned to pressing their faces to the window in an attempt to see something for themselves. There was nothing left to see. Even the smoke was fading. The students turned away one by one. You guys are liars, the black-haired boy said spitefully. Others in the crowd grumbled in agreement and shuffled back to the exhibits they had been looking at. Joseph got several dirty looks, which he hated. Rude, he said. Then he turned to Clovis. How awesome was that? Clovis was still grinning with his head back and his eyes closed. His arms were out a bit from his sides, palms up. What are you doing? Joseph asked him. I'm thanking Jesus for the best day of my life, he said. And then he returned to the window and kissed it. Joseph grabbed the back of his hoodie and pulled. Come on, we've got like 25 minutes left to check this place out. Clovis led him to the area at the end of the room. There was a large brown panel coming out of the wall, layered with various photos of Captain Mighty's daring deeds. In the very center was a close-up cutout of his face and shoulders. He was looking off into the distance. His smile was large but real. Underneath the portrait was a huge brass plaque. Joseph read, The End of an Era. Of all of the enhanced heroes through the years, none will be remembered so fondly as Captain Mighty. His deeds were many, his kindness known around the world. His example, one we all strive to follow. He never said goodbye, and why should he? For his spirit will never lead us, and his legacy will never fade from our hearts. There was a simple white sign on the railing in front of the exhibit. Captain Mighty disappeared without a trace, September 2003, becoming the first of the enhanced not to name a replacement. Thankfully, in November of that same year, Dr. Superior made his appearance 
and committed himself to carrying the captain's legacy proudly into the future. The tour guide said the same thing, that Captain Mighty disappeared, Joseph said. The movie didn't tell it that way. He just flew behind a mountain and Dr. Superior flew out and took his place. Weird, Clovis said. Okay, so maybe starting at the end wasn't such a good idea, said Clovis. The crowd is cleared at the beginning. Let's just go back and start over. As they walked back through the other students milling about, Joseph couldn't help but catch glimpses here and there. Captain Mighty flies food to villages in Uganda. Captain Mighty stops gang war, frees toddler from well, helps with space shuttle debris recovery, rescues stranded sunken submarine. None of this had been in the movie. Based on a true story, my butt, Joseph thought. Once they were at the beginning, Clovis read aloud from another large brown panel with gold lettering. Captain Mighty was introduced to the world by Miss Model in 1978. He is known as the people's hero, often using his enhancements to help even in small ways. Other enhanced are known for their mighty deeds. Captain Mighty is known for his many deeds. That's pretty cool, Clovis said. I mean, not super exciting like Dr. Superior or anything, but still cool. I don't think anything could compare to Dr. Superior, especially after what we just saw, Joseph replied. The boys spent the remaining time happily working their way through the room, reading, watching videos, and taking pictures of capes, boots, and uniforms with Clovis's phone. The next few hours were spent going through the archways into other rooms. Each hero seemed to have something special they were remembered for. Daring Dan froze the building, as the tour guide had said. Sergeant Silent served for years without a single word. Sergeant Sudden had the ability to stop disasters before they even happened. Miss Model served overseas until the president required her to only serve America and her allies during the Vietnam War. The images and facts filtered their way into Joseph's mind. It was all extremely interesting to him. He wondered how hard it must have been for Miss Model to stop the work she was doing around the world. It must have felt like a punishment, he thought. The students all met for lunch in a cafe near the entrance at noon. They filled the hall with their excited chattering. Have you ever wondered where they come from? Joseph asked. Yeah, I have, Clovis replied. I wonder how they got their powers, too. Everyone assumes they were just born that way, but it could be science or aliens or something like that. I've always figured the first enhanced daring Dan passed his powers down to the next and so on, Joseph said. But that doesn't explain how he got his in the first place. Or where they come from or where they go, Clovis added. The conversation continued between bites of cheese pizza about which powers were best, which hero other than Dr. Superior was best, and what they would call themselves if they were enhanced themselves. I would go with Super Captain, Clovis said. That's cheating, Joseph said, disgusted. You just mixed Dr. Superior and Captain Mighty. Soon the microphone woman was telling them to clean their places and file in. It was time for the final exhibit, the hall dedicated to Dr. Superior. The entrance was yet another large archway, which had been obscured by the main staircase. The room was colossal. Easily half the building was dedicated to this room alone. It was circular, like the lobby, except the entire space was open and carpeted. Five statues representing each of the previous enhanced circled the room. At the front was a double-sized marble likeness of Dr. Superior, his arms spread wide as if he were holding up the ceiling. Joseph thought he looked more like he wanted a hug from everyone. Please have a seat in the center of the floor, Jim the tour guide said. As soon as Joseph sat and had his legs crossed, the room went absolutely dark. The group started whooping and screaming. 
Joseph rolled his eyes. Joseph felt someone tapping on his back. It had to be Clovis, checking to see that Joseph was nearby. Clovis was a good friend, but he was a friend who was madly afraid of the dark. A deep voice came booming out of the darkness. The students fell silent. Welcome to the Enhanced Heroes Memorial Museum and Research Center, sponsored by Superior Industries Incorporated. Thank you for paying tribute to the enhanced heroes of the past. Lights came on, illuminating the five surrounding statues. We could never forget the lives they saved and the world they changed. We all owe a huge debt to these men and women, and we will repay that debt when we continue the legacy they left for us to follow. The walls around the hall were suddenly lit with purple light coming from lenses in the floor. The narrator continued, There is one man, one enhanced hero still with us today. Since his appearance in 2003, his amazing feats have taken the world by storm. I'm talking of none other than Dr. Superior. With that, the ceiling above them burst into light and color as a huge Dr. Superior logo rotated overhead. It shrank down and formed the emblem on the chest of Dr. Superior. He stood with his hand on his hips, staring off into the distance, smiling with a look of determination on his face. The narration continued. That's right, it's Dr. Superior. In 2003, when the world was reeling from the disappearance of the much-loved Captain Mighty, Dr. Superior swept in to fill those large shoes, and fill them he did. Scenes of Dr. Superior catching people, jumping from burning buildings, holding up buildings weakened by earthquakes, stopping out-of-control subway trains, and many other situations started flashing around the huge overhead screen. Laser lights came from the sides of the screen and made the statues look like they were looking up and clapping their hands. He caught 11 cars falling from a bridge in Florida after a freighter collided with it in 2004. He caught the President's Air Force One when it stalled over the Atlantic Ocean in 2006. He lifted Abraham Lincoln's nose back into place when it fell from Mount Rushmore in 2007. He even made it to London to lift the Wembley Stadium roof when its support snapped in 2010. And who can forget how he single-handedly saved the 2012 Olympics in Hong Kong when a typhoon threatened to wipe the city off the map. Lasers started tracing the huge Dr. Superior statue, outlining him in dazzling color. The outlines filled in the details of his costume and face. The face smiled, and Superior's voice rang across the room. I am Dr. Superior! The kids went nuts, screaming and cheering. Joseph and Clovis joined right in. It was doubly exciting because they had only an hour ago just seen the real live hero himself. Joseph noticed that the laser projections on the other hero figures were still making them appear to clap and cheer. The presentation continued, sharing the stories of rescues Dr. Superior had made over the years. There were hundreds. Occasionally, a close-up of his smiling face and blonde hair would flash across the screen. He was waving just as he had done outside the window. The video concluded with an invitation to visit the Superior Souvenir Shop and to have your photo taken with Dr. Superior. The lights came back on. Joseph was excited. A photo with Dr. Superior? Let's go, he shouted. It's not that great, Clovis warned. Upon entering the shop, Joseph was greatly disappointed to find a huge line of students waiting for a picture with a fake wooden laminate cutout of the great hero. That's dumb, said Joseph. Told you, Clovis said. His eyes widened. Let's look around. They started picking through the various items for sale. There were racks of t-shirts with Superior's slogan or his symbol. They were way more money than Joseph's mom had given him. He walked over to the keychains and started looking for one with his name. They never had it, but he always checked. They were $8 anyway, and he only had five. 
the microphone woman called out. When you've completed your purchases, make your way back outside and stand against the wall with your class like before, and you will receive further instructions, one of the students called out from the crowd. Joseph laughed along with the other students. She talks to us like we're kids, said Clovis. Should we hold hands with a safety buddy? He shouted over the crowd. If you need to hold hands, Clovis, please do, the microphone woman replied in monotone. Everyone nearby turned and laughed at Clovis for a good bit. Other students asked what was funny, were told, and laughed too. How does she know your name? Joseph asked in disbelief. She's my Aunt Adrian. Mom has her volunteer because she's always working. My mom's convinced that someday somebody's going to steal me. How'd she know it was me calling out? Oh, because your Aunt Adrian must have super-powered enhanced hearing. She can hear anyone, anywhere, Joseph teased. And with the power of her incredible microphone speaker belt, she keeps watch over one of the wildest and shortest kids in the known universe, Clovis Cook. Okay, you two are done, said Aunt Adrian suddenly right behind them. They both jumped. Out to the buses, Clovis. But we didn't get anything, Clovis whined. She kissed her hand and slapped the back of his head. You can spend the money you saved today on acting lessons for your friend here, she said, nodding to Joseph. Something behind them caught her attention. She raised her microphone and squeezed past them. Young man, put down that mannequin this instant. I couldn't afford anything anyway, said Joseph. Everything was really expensive. I've only got five bucks. You'd think they'd have something here for that. I bet they'd sell you one of Dr. Superior's toenails for five bucks, Clovis joked. One for you to chew on, Joseph came back. They both laughed and took turns pushing one another as they made their way through the crowd to the exit and onto the sidewalk. They looked up and down the street. The buses were gone. This concludes Chapter 1. Visit SortaKindOfSuperpower.com for updates, hero illustrations, and more. I got to interview James Kennison, the author of this story, and I think we should get to know him and his tale a little better. James, thanks for coming on the show. I am a huge fan of this book. Of course, I'm a fan of the other things you do as well, but this is a great story. When and why did you first decide to write this story? Well, I started writing this in 2014, and I was going through a a period of depression. I've, I've struggled with depression for the last 10 years and only recently have been able to pull out of it. But during my depressed states, I would have these times where I could break above the surface of the misery and do something creative. And it, it's like depression would lose hold of me for a little while. It wouldn't let me go. It's like I slipped from its grasp. And one of those periods of time was in 2014 and I, I just felt like writing a book. I, I kind of always wanted to. And so I did. And it was, it was, it was challenging. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I tried to read up on how to write a novel and everything seemed so complicated. And it just seems like, it seemed like steps in the way instead of actually getting me, you know, to the product, which was a finished book. And so I just, I just said, heck with it. If I, if I stink at this, then I stink at it, but I'm going to have fun and I'm going to do it and I'm going to finish it. And, uh, you know, while I still had the energy and the drive and the, the emotional energy. And so that's, that's why I decided to do it there as far as choosing what it was about. And, um, 
you know, the characters and all that um, really didn't even come into play until I had first decided that I'm going to write something. Now, the book itself is about a kid named Joseph who finds a pen, um, not a writing pen, a, a pen that would pin to your shirt. He, and when he puts it on, he finds he has a limited set of superpowers. And if there was anything that motivated me to write this, it was that I wanted to do a superhero story. Cause we've all seen superhero, you know, kids getting superpowers stories. You know, I think uh, sky high is, is a great movie as Kurt Russell and um, you know, the, the woman that played wonder woman is the principal. It, it's a great, it's a great story about kids getting superpowers, but, but it's not grounded in any kind of reality. And that's what I wanted to do is what if me as a kid with a mom with, you know, responsibilities and school and all the stuff that, you know, boys have to deal with. What if, what if randomly came upon powers? And I think it made sense. And the spin for me was that what if you had powers that, really didn't transform your life. You know, it just kind of enhanced part of it. And what would that mean to a kid with a family, with a mom, with responsibilities? Because so many times, uh, Earth to Echo is an example of a great movie, E.T. being another one, where kids are, their stories told about them, but their parents aren't involved. And uh, it seems to be, a, 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 it's a big thing because parents would stop you from doing a lot of the things that kids get up to in stories. And so like cell phones in movies, you know, the cell phone always has to be shown as not working or out of service before the bad guy comes and gets them because a lot of movies would be solved by a phone call, you know, and a lot of kids stories would be solved by just going to their parents or the adults in their lives. Uh, I didn't want to write a story like that. I wanted one, uh, where a kid was deeply uh, attached to his mother, and how what what could we do not in spite of parenting, but uh, through parenting and through having open dialogue between a mother and a son, uh, as you know, they're they're uh, they're a broken family. The father has left for bigger and better things, as far as he's concerned. These two have been bonded together, and uh, he, he couldn't practically keep this from his mom, even if he had wanted to. But anyway, but, you know, that's that's why I decided to write the story that I wrote. And I used the, the name Joseph uh, because it's what I wanted to name my son. <laughs> when he was, uh, before he was born, my wife said, no way, no way. So we ended up naming him after me. And uh, so he got, he got James, a great, wonderful, awesome, sarcastic name. So there you go. Oh, one, one more thing is I wrote it in 2014 and I finished it and then I put it away because I was sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was crud, that it was absolute crap. And it took me four years later till my head came up again from above the surface of depression. And I said, you know what? I did this thing. I wrote a thing. It's a completed thing. It, sh it should get out there. It should be out there. 
Um, and so that's that's an interesting bit of information is is it sat for four years in my computer unedited unupdated spelling errors the whole thing and in 2008 like i said i had a i had another wake-up spell and and i sat down and with the help of uh several folks including a young lady named lauren mack who was my main editor we went through it with a fine-tooth comb i'm sure it's not perfect but we updated it and uh i corrected a few plot holes and uh, kind of rewrote some parts where I was a little lazy in my writing and, and let Joseph get out of situations a little too easily. And, uh, and we released it and uh, it, it originally came out as a, uh, an audio book, uh, a podcast series, 13 episodes. You can find them at uh, sort of kind of superpowered.com. The original story was called bad hero. That's what it was called. And at the last minute, I mean, I did up artwork for the cover and everything that said bad hero. And at the last minute, um, I got some input from a friend uh, named uh, Ethan Nicole. And uh, he just said the name was bad. <laughs> and I think it was, I think he was right. And so I came up with sort of kind of superpowered because that was what he, the kid is when he gets uh, the, the pen. And why does he only get kind of sort of superpowers why why you know what's the deal um that's what the story's about and you'll have to read it to find out more the lives and makeup of children would be a subject you know a lot about right tell us a little bit about that and also did that help in writing this tale yes um i was a children's pastor for 13 years and before depression knocked me off my horse and uh, I also benefit from just, and I think it made me a, a decent children's pastor, is I remember what it was like to be a child. And I think a lot of adults forget to the point that they don't even like children. I've, I've been someone that I can go back and I don't remember everything that happened. It's not like that kind of memory. I just remember how I felt and the things I thought at different areas and phases of my life. I remember what it was like to be a middle schooler. I remember what it was like to be a high schooler. I remember elementary school. And I remember younger than that, actually. I remember being a, a preschooler and the ways I thought about things and how concrete they were and how if uh, my mother told me um, something was was you know, if she told me something, I believed her absolutely and completely. And then I remember when I started questioning things. And, uh, so yeah, I think, I think that ability gives me, uh, not only made me a good children's pastor and I was able to explain biblical things on their level. Uh, like for instance, the lamb of God, how do you explain that to a kid? Uh, you have to go and you have to break it down. What did the lamb of God mean to the people that it was said to a lamb was what a sacrifice a lamb represented sacrifice to that culture uh, a spotless lamb was how they used to wash their sins away was was sacrificing a lamb so i can't explain to a kid what the lamb of god is because they're going to be like jesus was a lamb a lamb that belongs to god because they think concretely they take an abstract concept and they make it work for their mind. 
And they will literally, there will be first and second graders that literally think of Jesus as being a sheep and that that sheep belongs to God. Totally missing the purpose of the concept. The concept is of sacrifice. I can't teach a kid about the Lamb of God, but I can teach kids that Jesus was the sacrifice of God. Now that works. What does that mean? It means that Jesus was the sacrifice that God made to cover our sins. I can teach that all day. So um, kids are concrete thinkers and, uh, you know, they, they are also very uh, simple in, in what they can understand and what they can uh, take uh, into their minds. And so I wrote the book uh, with that in mind. Now the age group for the book is probably eight to 15. Um, and so it's very simple. Uh, it's, it's, uh, but it's real. It's based in reality. And um, even how the powers show themselves, if you read the book or listen to it on the podcast, you'll see that the powers that he gets um, are based in reality. I'll spoil one minor thing. When he, he finds that x-ray vision is almost completely useless because when he looks through, say, a cabinet door, there's no light behind it and he can't see what's inside the cabinet. And, uh, that is, that is something that even Superman would have problems with. If you think about it, because there's no light in there and how could Superman see, even if she saw through something, how could he see what was in there if the lights were out? And so, uh, I, I took these powers and tried to make them as realistic as possible and as accessible to kids as possible. It, 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 it helped knowing about children, knowing how kids think, uh, knowing the struggles they deal with, the stuff they deal with in school. The memories that I have definitely helped in writing the story. Who were some of your influences or inspirations while writing this? I'd have to say that the person that influenced me the most was a gentleman named Ethan Nicole. He is the uh, creator. I will always know him as the creator uh, and co-writer of Axe Cop that you can still find today at axecop.com. It is a great story. It was him and his five-year-old brother sitting down writing stories, and he would illustrate them. It's complete creativity, complete innocence. Uh, it's it's a fantastic ride if you go to axecop.com and, and read up. Now, since then, he's moved on to great things. He's worked on VeggieTales in the house. He, he worked, has worked with DreamWorks. He's uh, working for the Daily Wire now, creating content, uh, cartoons and stuff for them. Uh, he's he is a hero of mine, even though he's younger than me, um, because this man takes the creativity that's in him and puts it to work in a way that I wish, I only wish I could. So, uh, you know, he has completed so many tasks and I am not uh, a task completer. <laughs> I start things. I start a lot of things. Uh, the book was an example. I started in 2014, completed it four years later. Um, but this man gets an idea, starts it, finishes it, publishes it, puts it out, makes money on it, touches lives, changes people. And uh, he's great. He is awesome. Ethan Nicole, do yourself a favor and familiarize yourself with his works. Are you planning any sequels? Am I planning any sequels? I am, believe it or not. Um, 
I've written an overview of the second story. I can't, I can't go into many details. It I can say it starts the moment that the first book ends. Uh, so we get to see uh, Joseph at at a, at a level that we didn't get to see in the book. But is it going to last long? You know how does a how does a a middle school kid handle the responsibility of superpowers? How does that work? How does that work with school and with family and life and, and all that stuff? Um, you'd be surprised what you can get away with uh, when your family is behind you. There's also plans of, uh, of it, it being a story of reconciliation and forgiveness, much like the first book was about doing the right thing in spite of there being no reward. And even further, the book went into the the world of doing the right thing when it's actually being punished. That's integrity, you know. Uh, I had a friend that said, faith isn't when the check comes at the last minute. Faith kicks in when the check doesn't come. And integrity isn't when you do the right thing and you get a pat on the back. It's when you do the right thing and no one notices and the ones that do notice hate it. And that's what the book's about. The sequel is more about forgiveness and the concept of a, of a child who's been hurt having to come face to face with not just one, but several enemies in his life. Um, some on an emotional level, some on a physical level, some on a super level. Uh, but I, I, I haven't worked on it in a long time and um, I can't figure out how it ends. <laughs> I've got almost everything figured out except the ending so uh we'll, we'll see don't hold your breath i mean it's already 2023 and i released it in 2018 so i don't know i don't know if it'll ever happen but people ask for a sequel and i always am impressed that people want more of the drivel that i wrote so is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners I'll tell you one thing, write a book, write a book, just write a book. Even if it's terrible, write a book and release it, give it away for free. That's what I ended up doing. I released it as a podcast series at first, and then I turned it into an ebook. It's available today on amazon.com type in sort of kind of super powered and boom, you will get access to the podcast and or the ebook. It is free. It is something I just wanted to put out to the world. And I suggest that if you have a story in your heart, no matter if it's a short story or a long form novel, uh, get it out of you. Even if it stinks, it's terrible. Somebody will enjoy it. Somebody will get something out of it and you'll feel good. You'll feel good. Just don't go in it like I'm going to make a million dollars because you're not. You're, you're probably not. Um, <laughs> it's like podcasting. Everybody wants to have a podcast so they can make tons of money. That's not the reason podcasts exist. It's, it's to, to entertain and to change people and help people and, and give them something that they wouldn't have otherwise to entertain them, to bless them, to, to give them a, an hour or 45 minutes of bliss. You know, it's, it's what it is. And a book is the same thing. You know, I don't know. I've never been a big want to make bunch of money kind of guy. So I could be wrong on this and don't listen to me, but I say, write a book, write a song, 
write a story, write a poem, and then give it away. And, and just change the world. Change your little part of the world. So whatever write a book means to you, whether it's make a quilt, whether it's raise a child, whether it's preach a sermon, I don't know. I don't know. What, what is your book? What do you, what do you do? What is your thing? Do it. Do it, dadgummit. And because that way, when you look back, you'll be like, you know what? I haven't done much, but I did that. I did that. And you know, when, when life wants to drag you down, it can only pull you down so far because there's a little hook in the, in the wall that you can hang yourself on. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like with your finger <laughs> and you can't go any lower than this. Cause you're like, no, you know what? I wrote a book. I raised a kid. I, you know, I, I did write by the, this person, you know, just whatever it is. And, uh, doing something physical like that, that you can point back to, I think, uh, is, is a great thing that a great gift to give yourself. So there you go. It was great having you on the show. Seriously, getting to interview you was cool. Before we go, let others know uh, the other things you do, where they can freely find the book, and how they can stock, uh, uh, I mean, uh, find you. Well, I'll tell you, first of all, again, I mentioned it earlier, sort of kind of superpower.com um, is the website. You can go there and uh, it has links uh, to the podcast and to the book. You can look up the audiobook and the ebook again on Amazon. You can get it on your Kindle. It is free, uh, sort of kind of super powered in, in Amazon. Uh, I also am a podcaster. I've been doing a show called That Story Show for 17 years now. And uh, or however long ago 2006 was, it is a comedy story podcast where people send in their stories and we share them with the world. And my co-host John and I enjoy it and we love it and we do it every Thursday. It's a lot of fun. You can check it out. It's called That Story Show. Look it up anywhere that audio is given out and you will find it. Uh, most people find it on Apple Podcasts. Uh, but, you know, if you're an iHeartRadio person or uh, a YouTube music person or, you know, whatever, just look up That Story Show. And uh, thatstoryshow.com, of course, as well. And then I have a show I do for children called Red School Bus. And it's just like That Story Show, except the stories are for kids and we play games and we have fun. And me and my co-host James, yeah, there's two of us, uh, we have a lot of fun. And it's uh, located at redschoolbus.com. And, you know, kids send in stories. We read them on the show. We laugh. We have a lot of fun. Uh, so that's me. That's, that's, that's about all there is. Um, thank you for interviewing me and giving me a chance to come on the show. I appreciate it. And I will see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Every episode, I want to have a classic. Something that's been around for a very long time, but still worth your time. Sometimes when time permits and it is feasible, we will actually let you hear the audio in full. Other times, it will be a suggestion and where to find it. Today, I want to suggest you go and listen to the old-time radio Superman show with host Adam Graham. I loved this show. It's completed now, but it's all still up and well worth listening to. You might even hear yours truly on a few of the episodes. Also coming soon on Clean Fiction Magazine, 
you're going to see some reviews uh, during the next few quarters of some books by Adam and his wife, Andrea Graham. Fiction is fun and can even be used to teach or to make you think. But fiction isn't an end-all be-all. So, each episode, I would like to recommend a non-fiction book or podcast to further aid you in learning, thinking, and living. Today, I'd like to recommend a book called The Story of Reality by Greg Kokel. It's an outline of events from the beginning of the world on. It's also an amazing presentation of the good news of Jesus Christ. I'd like to share quickly about this good news. We all sin. We all do wrong. That's rebellion against God. God in his word, the Bible, says this is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is how I want you to live your life. This is not how I want you to live your life. And a lot of times we go directly in opposition what he says. That's called sin. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that everybody has done this. And every day we live our lives and we have regrets. Folks, God exists. And as I mentioned a moment ago, any and all sin is rebellion against God. It's sort of like treason against our Creator. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that with sin we earn death. But God had a solution. God the Son came to earth, born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life, then died for my sin and yours, rose on the third day so that if we trust him, we would be spared God's wrath. What does it mean to trust God? Turn from your sins to God. Ask for forgiveness based on what Jesus did for you. Trust him to keep his promise and save you from God's wrath. He will also change you into a new person, a better person, a person closer to who God wants you to be. And eventually, you'll go to heaven and actually get to be exactly what God designed you to be. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can find me and all the other Life Truth shows over at life-truth.com. Check out Clean Fiction Magazine on sale at Amazon or find out more at cleanfictionmagazine.com.